Good morning, Grace Point Church. It's such a pleasure to see you all this morning. Uh, first off, I got to say, way to go by the worship team leading us through this morning, right? I mean, uh, I specifically talked to Brandon one time, and he, he said uh, he loves doing the songs that we do frequently, so that way, in case something like that ever happens, we still hear us all singing and praising and worshiping Jesus. So not today, Satan. We're worshiping Jesus. We love it, right? I'm a... Good morning. My name is Andrew. I serve here at Grace Point Church. I am the assistant to the pastoral team. I'm also one of the pastoral candidates in training. Uh, Most of you have probably talked to me at some point. We have probably exchanged emails or something like that, or you've seen me in the lobby. If you haven't, welcome. I'm Andrew. Feel free to talk to me anytime. I'm a talker. So Um, before we get started, we have a few announcements to run through this morning. First off, Covenant Partner class was scheduled for next Sunday. It has been canceled, so the next one will be in January. Please, if you have any questions about doctrines, foundations of the church, what Grace Point Church is about, what we believe in, what our mission is, attend that class. It's going to be in the third Sunday in January. It's a great time. It's uh, from 2 to 5 on the third Sunday of January, so please attend that. Ask any questions that you may have. We'd love to just welcome you and tell you more about Grace Point. Um, On the back seat of the chairs in front of you, there's a black QR code. All the announcements I'm about to say pertain to that QR code. So if you take out your phone and scan it once, be ready, because I'm going to give some instructions a little bit here. But next Saturday, we have our Spiritual Warfare Conference with Dr. Gary Brashears on Saturday, November 19th. It is free, so please scan that QR code and sign up so we get an accurate headcount. That way, we're providing like snacks, coffee, water, things like that. So Please sign up ahead of time so we have an accurate headcount on what to prepare for. Dr. Gary Brashears is a wonderful, wonderful man, dean of theology at Western Seminary, and this is like one of his niches, one of the the power moves in his tool belt, if you will. So he is going to come and teach us about spiritual warfare, which I'm very excited for, excited to be a part of that. Also, next Saturday... So while you're here enjoying the Spiritual Warfare Conference, we have Thanksgiving dinner box delivery, meaning we have a ton of Thanksgiving boxes that are going out to the foster families here um, in the city that we connect with. So if you are here that morning, please sign up to take a box or two. There's like a hundred of them. I helped out last year, and the more hands, the more vehicles, the easier it is to get these out to the families. It's a great way to serve and connect with the community, so please sign up and do that. You're already here. Take a box or two before you head home and drop it off and just let somebody know that they're loved and that they're valued and that they are welcome here at Grace Point Church, and we love to serve our community. Thirdly, We have Christmas gifts for the foster kids as well, the Foster Connect program that we connect with. If you scan that code, there's no tags this year. If you remember, we've done tags in the past. Please scan that code. We need the gifts here by December 4th. I know it's a quick turnaround, but please, guys, it's really easy. Just go on there. Amazon pulls up the entire list of gifts that you can get for the foster kids, so that way they can participate in having just gifts for Christmas. It's another way that we just serve the community around us and love them well. Sound good? Awesome. Final note, and this is the final note. So, 
If you were here last week, you know Grace Point Church has a mission statement. Does anyone know what that is? What? There you go. We here at Grace Point Church live to make disciples of Jesus that live in community for the community. And that's something that we truly believe in. Now that mission, while it is a local context here in the city, in the community of Las Vegas, little do you know, it goes beyond this city. It goes beyond these walls. We have overseas partners globally that we support, that we partner with in the gospel, that we financially support, and that we care deeply for. And this is something that we've been doing for quite some time, that the mission of the gospel is not only reaching people here in Las Vegas, but it is reaching lost souls all across the world. Um, do we have the video? Question mark? Cool. So this is a video from Village Church Belfast. So that is one of our partners, that is Pastor Andrew Elder. He is in Ireland, Belfast, Ireland. Guys, our overseas partners, so if any of you have seen them before, have met them before, or just seen the pictures that we've promoted over the course of the time, you will hear these are people that love Jesus. They love the ministry of the gospel. They are so focused on sharing the love of Christ with others. I got to spend some wonderful time with Andrew Elder over the weekend that he was here when he preached at GP, and that man's heart for Jesus is truly humbling. It's inspiring. He has this vision to reach the lost, to plant churches. He has such a love for his church and his community that it is just inspiring. And if you talk to any of our partners, they all have that heart. So we have a campaign going on. It's called Beyond the Beyond Campaign 2022. There's all their beautiful faces up there. They are wonderful people. And our goal is to raise $100,000 by the end of this year, 2022. Now, if you would all look over to your left, you see that dark rectangle on the wall? It's like a board over there. Yes? Awesome, awesome. There are magnets on that board with the beautiful faces put on them, there is a dollar value attached before you leave today. I know how easy it is, guys, to just walk out the door, talk with people in the lobby. You want to connect, you want to gather, but before you leave, before you scurry to your car, stop at that board over there, grab a magnet, you scan the QR code, and you give to these ministries. There's also some ones that say other on there for different dollar amounts. If that's something that you want to give to, please, this is something that is spreading the gospel. It is impacting lost souls. It is impacting the lives that are not only here in Las Vegas, but globally, which is such a blessing and such an, an amazing thing to be a part of. I have only known this church to be a generous and sacrificial church, so I know we can hit this goal. So please, over the next couple months here, let us give and let us raise this for our overseas partners and for the mission of the gospel. Sound good? Awesome. Thank you. Now, with that, I know, I'm not done talking. 
With that, I would love to pray with you this morning before we jump into the scriptures and get into God's word. So if you'd take a moment with me. Father, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. What we are not, make us. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So, as you saw this morning, we are in the book of Esther. We are in the conclusion of Esther. And I'm going to give you a very, very brief summary of everything that has happened so far. A lot of things have transpired and taken place. But in short, King Ahasuerus, not a good guy. He's, a, he's actually a terrible human being a little bit. But he has this massive kingdom he gets rid of the last queen because she disobeys him. And then Esther, this Jewish woman, becomes the next queen. And then there's another terrible guy that comes into the picture. His name is Haman. And he is kind of the second in command. He's in close with the king. And Haman hates Mordecai. And Mordecai's the uncle of Esther. And Haman plots to kill not only Mordecai, but he wants to kill all of the Jews. Mordecai and Esther, through this unbelievable wild course of events, they bring this plan to the king, that Haman has this evil plan to destroy the Jews. And what the king does is issues a decree for the Jewish people to defend themselves against Mordecai and against this decree of who's trying to kill them. And battles amongst the kingdom take place for about two days, and the Jewish people claim victory, and it's incredible. It's amazing. And what happens then is they are delivered from certain death, and everything is good, and that's incredibly brief. Like, that is incredibly brief. So, if you don't know the story of Esther, you have two options. If you haven't been walking through us through the series as we've gone through this, you can either go to gracepointvegas.com or go to YouTube, type in Grace Point Vegas, and follow along the series that Pastor Ty has done such a wonderful job leading us through. Or you have the second option, you can read your Bibles. Gasp! What a, what a suggestion. No, seriously though, it's a wonderful story. It's fantastic. Walk through it, and it'll help you get a little bit more context today. But I'm going to do my best with the closing here. Sound good? Awesome. So we're, we're at this conclusion, though. We're at this ending, and I would say it's probably the most non-interesting part of the story. And some of you are like, did he just say the Bible's not interesting? Calm down. Let me give you a little explanation. Have any of you watched a, uh, a major movie franchise before that took multiple movies to complete? Yeah? Raise your hands. Fast and the Furious. Legendary. <laughs> I think they're still going. I don't think that's ever going to get complete. We're on like 52 now or something like that. But maybe you've watched Lord of the Rings. Maybe you've watched The Avengers. Maybe you've watched the Harry Potter franchise. Familiar? Yes? Awesome. Great. You're tracking with me. Now, you know, all of those movies, they usually they have this epic conclusion at the end where there's this final battle sequence. Usually it comes to this peak moment, and there's this last battle between good and evil. And what happens is there's a lot of chaos taking place. There's so much happening, and in the midst of the peak, we are all wondering, how is this going to end? 
what, what's going to happen. How, how are the heroes going to prevail in this situation? But then what happens? The ring gets destroyed. Thanos is defeated. Harry Potter and his friends defeat he who must not be named. And the second that the enemy is defeated, the movie's over. It goes straight to the credits, right? No. It doesn't go straight to the credits once our enemy is defeated. What happens? Usually, it fades out to like this scene. It has like this black screen fade in as there's this beautiful orchestra score picturing this poetic moment. And then we have another scene, and it continues. And the movie continues for like, 10, 20, 20 more minutes. If it's Avengers, it's like another 30 or 40. But it continues, right? And what do we see happen? We see what happens after the enemy has been defeated. We see what happens to our main characters. Spoiler alert, these movies came out a while ago, so I'm giving details. If you haven't seen them, I'm sorry, but that's on you. They've been out for a while. But we see things like Frodo has to say goodbye. He has to leave Sam and his friends, and Aragorn is on the throne. We have the moment of Tony Stark's funeral. Steve Rogers finally gets that dance with Peggy Carter. We see Harry and his friends all grown up putting their kids on the train to Hogwarts. We get closure to the story, don't we? Well, that's kind of what we have today with Esther. In the entire story of Esther walking through the book, we have arrived to the point where the conflict is resolved, the enemy has been defeated, and the big battle is, it's over. But the Jewish people have been delivered, and we have our hero or our heroes of the story. And today, you're getting the last 20 minutes of the movie when it comes to Esther. But I have a question for you. Has any of us during that last 20 minutes, just turned off the TV, just, just gotten out and left and been like, ah, the movie's over with, we're done. No, we don't do that. We keep watching. And why do we keep watching? Because we not only care about the characters of the story, we not only want to see how the author or the writer or the director is going to end it, but when a studio has a major movie franchise, what do they usually end up doing? Right, teasers, things like that. There's prequels that they make. There's sequels that they make. There's spin-offs that they make. I mean, Disney Plus, am I right? There's, there's so much other content outside of what happens. And it makes that last 10 to 20 minutes important because it tells us something that connects to the past, to what's already happened, and to some things that haven't happened but are yet to come. And I think that's what Esther is doing. This morning, there's one thing that we can take away from Esther. I want it to be this. Remembrance of God's goodness inspires a people of response. So with that, we'll, we'll jump into the text this morning. If you don't have a Bible, please grab one at the front, at the tables up here, here at Grace Point. We lead, teach, and preach from our Bibles. It is incredibly important that you have one so you know that we aren't just making this up. But... Otherwise, you can go on your phone, go to the Bible app, go to Uversion, look up Grace Point Vegas, and follow along on there. Sound good? Awesome. You guys, you guys awake? Yeah. You guys good? Okay, good. I, I, know, I know that was a long intro, but come on, we're good. But starting with verse 20, we have just reached the conclusion of the battle where people wanted to kill the Israelites or the Jewish people. They wanted to eradicate the Jews and plunder their goods. They wanted to take everything they had for themselves. They wanted to murder them. 
take their lives and take everything that has been attached with their lives. And the Jewish people find themselves victorious. And we are kind of at the now what moment. And we look at the first act of business we see here in Esther chapter 9, verses 20 to 22. It says, And Mordecai recorded these things and sent letters to all the Jews who were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, both near and far, obliging them to keep the 14th day of the month of Adar and also the 15th day of the same year by year as the days on which the Jews got relief from their enemies and as the month that had been turned for them from sorrow into gladness and from mourning into a holiday, that they should make them days of feasting and gladness, days for spreading gifts of food to one another and gifts to the poor. Now, in the beginning of this, this passage, verse 20, if we don't stop and take a moment, it can read as something that seems so arbitrary to the story. But it isn't. It's actually incredibly important. It's quite fundamental to the Christian faith and to the biblical narrative as a whole. The start to verse 20 is so simple but so important. It starts with this. Mordecai recorded these things. He wrote down what happened, and that is his first act of business. That is the first thing we see that he does. And perhaps it's, it's speculation on my part, but I think these letters that he is writing to the Jewish people, I think there is a very high likelihood that they would have gone into more detail of everything that had just happened, everything that just transpired and led to this outcome. I would imagine that if you're a Jewish person in this situation, in farther provinces, maybe in other parts of Susa, in the capital of the city, outside of seeing these royal decrees being issued by the kingdom, they might be quite curious as to what happened in Susa. It's not like they get a play-by-play of everything that's going on in the kingdom. And perhaps they are asking some questions amongst each other, kind of like, how did this take place? One moment We're seeing that the king is issuing a decree for us to be killed and eliminated, and then we receive a decree of favor for us to defend ourselves against those who are attempting to do the original decree. How how has this happened that at one moment we're going to be slaughtered, and at the next moment we are to defend ourselves and seek victory? And so, so while overjoyed at this victory, perhaps there is some questioning, some curiosity as to what led to the change of circumstances. And so Mordecai writes this all down. He sends out letters to all the Jews in the provinces of King Ahasuerus' kingdom. But there is something specific that accompanies these letters going out to the provinces. There's something attached to these letters that's of extreme importance. It's this order of remembrance. Mordecai orders the Jews all over the kingdom to keep the 14th and 15th day of Adar, that these 14th and 15th days are to be celebrated as an annual holiday. Now, part of the question is, I think, why are there two days? 
Why does this holiday have two days attached with it, this celebration of their victory? And it actually goes back to Queen Esther last week when Pastor Ty was preaching. If we remember chapter 9, verse 13, Esther had a very specific request of the king. And Esther said, If it please the king, let the Jews who are in Susa be allowed tomorrow also to do according to today's edict, to this day's edict. And let the ten sons of Haman be hanged on the gallows. Whoa, aggressive. But in all seriousness, scholars have expressed that in, that in many of the other provinces, what, what, what probably happened was the fighting was over in a day. It was over rather quickly. But in Susa, the capital, there was still fighting going on, and it didn't end after one day. And so it wasn't until the next day that the Jewish people actually solidified their victory. So rather than having disunity over such a small detail, which I think we as people tend to do sometimes, instead of disunity over a small detail, he's saying we are going to recognize both days as our victory. It's going to be this celebration. Mordecai is instructing them to keep both of the days, almost if it's saying, we are celebrating this together. Both of these days now have meaning for us that we will not forget. And looking at verse 22, it says, as the days on which the Jews got relief from their enemies, and as the month that had been turned for them from sorrow into gladness and from mourning into a holiday, that they should make them days of feasting and gladness, days of sending gifts of food to one another and gifts to the poor. Reading verse uh, 22, I, I can't help but, but think, what, what does that sound like for us? What's coming up? Yeah, Thanksgiving, Christmas. We have Christmas coming up, and does this language not mirror the posture that we have during Advent season? It's the, the good news that it is the day we are not left in the sorrow of our sin. It is the day that God kept his promise. The news that we have gladness in the Messiah. The time in which our mourning and brokenness has been turned into a holiday. Into something that we can rejoice over. In which we send gifts. We care for those that are less fortunate than ourselves. We care for one another. We celebrate with one another. It's a time to reflect on God's goodness that leads us to this holiday tradition in remembrance of Christ. And at the conclusion of verse 22, I can't help but see this sentence leap off the page. Esther 9.22 at the end it says, Days for sending gifts of food to one another and gifts to the poor. On that note, I, I want us to go back a, a couple verses from last week. I pieced these together a little bit, so I won't be reading the entire passage, but take a look at Esther 9, starting at verse 5. It says, The Jews struck all their enemies with the sword. In Susa, the citadel itself, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men, and also killed the ten sons of Haman, the sons of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews, and here's the important part that I want us to pay attention to, but they laid no hands on the plunder. Do you remember the original decree where it said to, to kill the Jews and to take their plunder? We're seeing this opposite here, and I think uh, Pastor Ty kind of illustrated it poetically of 
Who knows? It's kind of some holy speculation. It might be that they were ordered and commanded not to take anything of the plunder, or it might be that they wanted to leave something for the women and children to have a life to start over with, but they didn't take anything. They didn't take any of the goods of their enemy that they just defeated. And on that note, I want us to go back, or on that note, I want us to go to the passage in the New Testament in the gospel. Go to Mark chapter 12, verses 41 to 44. It says, And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. I look at this and I see Mordecai's call to remembrance. If we really look, it's leading the people to acts of worship to God as well as acts of love and service to one another, toward those around them. Think, think about this moment. Think for a moment, if you are a Jewish person in this context, When you stop and think about the fact that not too long ago, there was a death sentence for you. There was a death sentence set on you. There was a death sentence set on your children, set on your family, maybe even a lot of your close friends and neighbors. You were going to lose everything. And if you meditate on that fact, that you were going to lose everything, a truth like this, knowing that you were going to lose everything, and now you have been delivered and you have life, a truth like this is what sparks the fires of generosity. When you know you could have lost everything, it opens your hearts to others to bless them with anything. And that's what the Jewish people are doing. They, they are so grateful in their worship. They are so grateful in celebration that they want those who don't have anything to be able to participate in the celebration. They're looking at each other and they want them to celebrate with them. They're saying, here, rejoice. Here is food and drink. Here are gifts. I want you to celebrate this with me. I want us to celebrate this because it is today that we have been delivered. We have been delivered from certain death and we should be rejoicing this together. And remember, again, they didn't lay their hands on the plunder. So I I look at this, and it's amazing because they're not giving out of an abundance. It would have been too easy to give to those who don't have anything after they just took all the goods of their enemies that they just defeated. It would have been easy to be like, here, I have a ton. Have some. We just defeated our enemies. But instead... They are looking at each other, giving generously and freely of what they already have because the plunder that they have laid their hands on is life. And that is the greatest plunder. That is the greatest riches that we have in the Lord, in Christ. Christian, I can't help but see this within the church. When we stop and reflect on the fact that we deserved certain death because of our sin, 
And God wrote deliverance into our story through the cross of Jesus Christ. It is by the riches of life that we have been gifted such an amazing thing. We freely and joyfully pour out what we have to others. That's why we do things like the Thanksgiving boxes and we do the Christmas tags and we do the Beyond campaign. We do things because our extra might be somebody else's enough. We continue in Esther after we see this. There is a response that is needed of the people. And we look at the start of verse 23 and we get to see that response in action. So the Jews accepted what they had started to do and what Mordecai had written to them. For Haman, the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them and had cast poor, that is, cast lots, to crush and to destroy them. But when it came before the king, he gave orders in writing that his evil plan that he had devised against the Jews should return on his own head and that he and his son should be hanged on the gallows. Pause for a moment. Could, could you imagine reading this, reading these details if you're a Jewish person or if somebody's telling you this, if a neighbor heard the account of what happened? I can, I can only imagine that people are probably getting together because they didn't know the details of the situation and they are coming together saying to one another, did you hear what happened? Have you heard the account of Mordecai? Have you heard that Haman, the Agagite, wanted us destroyed and the king actually issued the decree to have us destroyed, but Mordecai and Esther fought on our behalf. They fought for us. And the king, when he found out about this evil plan, he didn't stand by. And he issued another decree so we would have deliverance. And he made sure it was Haman who got destroyed instead of us. How amazing is this? We need to tell everyone. I imagine that is the spirit in which they are living right now. We need to tell everybody what happened. And it continues in that passage. Therefore, they called these days Purim, after the term poor, therefore because of all that was written in the letter and of what they had faced in this matter and of what had happened to them, the Jews firmly obligated themselves and their offspring and all who joined them that without fail they would keep these two days according to what was written and at the time appointed every year that these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation and every clan, province, and city that these days of Purim should never fall into disuse among the Jews, nor should the commemoration of these days cease among their descendants. The Jewish people, they, they receive this account from Mordecai of all that has happened, all that has transpired, and you see it taking root. You see it manifesting this impact, which in turn manifests this tradition before the people, and they make these days a celebration called Purim after the word Pur, which meant what from the text? What did Pur mean? Casting lots. And for those who aren't familiar, casting lots, the easiest way to describe it, it's like casting dice. They would cast dice to determine things and what they were going to do. And we see the character earlier, Haman, earlier in the story, he cast lots, he cast dice, if you will, before 
his divine counselors before his gods to determine the day that the Jews would be destroyed. He cast lots to make this decision. And how poetically justifying is it, not only for the Jewish people, but I think for Mordecai when you look at this, because looking back earlier in the story in Esther chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, it says, And when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage to him, Haman was filled with fury. But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone. So as they had made known to him the people of Mordecai, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai, throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus. And then it would be in verse 7 that we see him actually cast the lots in order to determine their day of destruction. And I feel like this passage, what Mordecai is writing to the people, is the ultimate slap in the face to Haman at the end of all this. Not only did he end up getting executed, his sons ended up getting executed, but then the final note, if you will, just to make a point, is they title the celebration Purim. Do you see that, that irony there a little bit? It's this idea that this festival now has the name that was going to determine their destruction, is now celebrating their victory. We, we look at it, and I think it's like this idea, Haman was casting lots to plan the destruction of the Jewish people. Little did he know that he was planning his own destruction. Do we see the gospel tie there with Jesus? This idea that the enemy, Satan, but also us being enemies in our sin, crucifying Jesus, thinking there's going to be some sort of victory. The enemy thinking that there's some sort of victory, but through Christ's crucifixion, it actually ended up being the enemy's downfall. Praise and thanks be to God. One commentator put it like this when it comes to the idea of Purim. By naming the festival Purim, attention is focused on something deeper, and it is this, the lot, the destiny of God's people is not left up to chance and is not determined by someone like Haman casting lots before his gods. No, only God determines the lot of his people. The name reminds the people that it is God and God alone who determines how things turn out in this world. Amen? I think, I don't know about you, but I need to hear that over and over sometimes because it's so easy to look at the world and just think everything's in chaos and where's God in, in this sometimes? But he has already determined, he is the victor, he is the one orchestrating all things for his glory and for his kingdom. And this word, this title, was this heavenly reminder I see that Mordecai had from Esther chapter 4, verse 14. Remember, he's talking to, to Queen Esther, and in the midst of all of it, he says, relief and deliverance will rise from, for the Jews from another place. This confidence knowing we will be delivered. We have a faithful God. We won't meet our demise today. And so people grab hold of this in the most beautiful way through the monument of tradition. The people devoted themselves to be firm in this teaching and said, we are going to remind ourselves. We are going to remind our children. We are even going to remind those. I love the line in the last passage that we read. We are going to remind those that will join us, that will join our people. Do we dare look at verse 27 and look at it as we will remind and show the converts to our faith? 
of who God is. We will show them why we rejoice year after year, generation to generation, to every city, to every clan. We will proclaim it amongst the peoples. They will hear about the days that we celebrate and that we have deliverance from God. Does that sound like anything from the Gospels? I think of Matthew 28 with how familiar that sounds. Matthew 28 says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. When we begin to look at the book of Esther, if, if you guys were here in the beginning with us, Pastor Ty talked about how Many scholars and um, people of the faith kind of call it the godless book because God isn't mentioned in it. But the more we look at Esther, I don't know how anyone could ever say God isn't in this book because he is so beautifully and wonderfully revealed between the lines of the pages. And I think these closing parts of Esther, we see the beauty that lives in the inspiration of Holy Spirit-filled tradition. We look at what tradition means for us as a people and as a church. Yorslav Pelikan said, Tradition is the living faith of the dead. Traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. And I suppose I should add, it is traditionalism that gives tradition such a bad name. We continue in chapter 9, and we see this continuing. We see... Queen Esther, it says, the daughter of Abihail and Mordecai, the Jew, gave full written authority, confirming this second letter about Purim. Letters were sent to all the Jews to the 127 provinces of the kingdom of Ahasuerus in words of peace and truth, that these days of Purim should be observed at their appointed seasons, as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther obligated them as they had obligated themselves and their offspring with regard to their fasts and lamenting. The command of Esther confirmed these practices of Purim, and it was recorded in writing. These closing verses in chapter 9, uh, I think, add a subtler detail that can be missed, but in the aftermath, I think paint actually a wonderful overview of what's happened in Esther. First, Scholars have said that these verses seem to be expressing uh, additional efforts by Queen Esther to maintain unity among the people when it comes to the tradition. And verses 29 through 32 reveal to the reader that there was, for whatever reason, a need for a second letter to go out to the provinces to show not only that this decree comes from Mordecai, who ended up being now the second, in, second right-hand man, if you the right-hand man, second-in-command to King Ahasuerus. But now we see a decree coming from the royal house with Queen Esther, which is so different from where we see how the beginning of this story started. She now being the queen has full authority that is representative of the king. If we flip to the beginning of the story, if you remember, do you remember King Ahasuerus, this is such a different dynamic because when Queen Vashti disobeyed him, what did he do? He got rid of her. 
He got rid of her, and then he issued a decree to all of Persia saying men should be ruling their houses. And now we see Queen Esther is issuing a decree to all the lands of all the provinces on his behalf with full authority. That is such a flip in the script from where we began. But we also see some liberation for Queen Esther that I think is important when it comes to her identity. Brian R. Gregory puts it like this. The narrator notes at this point that she is the daughter of Abihel, only the second time he has noted her Jewish father. The first time in chapter 2, verse 15, when Esther was being brought into the palace to compete for a place as the new queen, she was identified by both her Persian name and her Hebrew name, as if to note that she was a young woman torn between two identities. Now, however, she may be the Persian queen, but her identity is defined by her Jewish ancestry, just as Mordecai is identified as Mordecai the Jew. Isn't that how it is for us now in Christ? We may do all these things and have some of these titles attached, but our identity is in our ancestry in Jesus. And Esther being one of our heroes that risked her own life by going to the king to intercede for the Jewish people and not, she didn't stop, if you remember, once her life was guaranteed. Once she had safety and she was going to be okay, she didn't stop there. But she kept fighting for others, for the lives of others, because she knew she had to, even if it would cost her her own life. What an admirable character trait we see from Esther in how we can be used by God when we take a leap of faith to care more for the ultimate good of others rather than ourselves. And looking at the last few verses here in Esther chapter 10, verses 1 through 3, King Ahasuerus imposed tax on the land and on the coastlands of the sea. And all the acts of his power and might and the full account of the high honor of Mordecai to which the king advanced him, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia? For Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Ahasuerus, and he was great among the Jews and popular with the multitude of his brothers. For he sought the welfare of his people and spoke peace. To all his people. King Ahasuerus, in the beginning of that text, imposing a tax on the land is seen historically more so as a tactic that whenever something like this would have happened in the kingdom, it would have been good for the kingdom to benefit or profit off of what had happened. Because the, the tax would have been in order to compensate the king for probably what would have been costly losses since Haman created this conflict within the confines of the kingdom. So the tax there is kind of to benefit off of losses. But what is important to see in these verses is that the accounts were not only recorded by the Jewish people. And I think that is such an incredible note to pay attention to. It wasn't just the Jewish people that wrote these things down. In the end, we see that it it was recorded in Persian history, in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings. And I think it's incredible to see how sometimes even the world around us observes some of the acts of God that take place without our knowledge. 
The second point to notice is Mordecai, our other hero of the story. It closes with this. It says, second in rank to King Ahasuerus, he was great among the Jews and popular with the multitude of his brothers, for he sought the welfare of his people and spoke peace to all his people. Church, throughout this series, whether it's the king, whether it's Queen Esther, or whether it is Mordecai, I hope we see the beauty that God constantly uses imperfect and compromised people to achieve his perfect purposes. And that's never changed. That's, that's with us. That's with everybody. But also, I hope we see that God, when we look at Mordecai, for example, imperfect people in the narrative of the Bible are always pointing to the perfect one that would come. And that's, that's Jesus. We look and we see while they were delivered from their enemies, Mordecai cannot deliver us, cannot even deliver his own people from the thing that Jesus came to deliver us from. And that was our own sin. Jesus came to seek the welfare of sinners. He came to seek peace among the people and deliver us from the fact that we deserve death. Because of our own sin, we deserve to be judged before a holy and perfect God, but Jesus delivers us. Which brings me to my final thoughts in, in the closing of this, this morning, in the closing of Esther Church. Earlier I said that I believe the closing of Esther points us to the reality that remembrance of God's goodness inspires a people of response. Christians, it is the work of the church to remember God's goodness, is it not? It is our work. When we are here on Sundays, when we come together to worship in all that we do, whether we're singing, whether it's the liturgy, whether it's through the preaching and teaching of God's word, it is to remember what God has done. And it doesn't only happen here. It happens when we leave these walls. It happens when we walk around the streets. It happens when we go to our jobs, when we spend time with our family and friends. It is our job to worship, to remind people of the gospel. We see it in the fact of the church tradition. When, it's, when we have spirit-inspired church tradition, when we come together, it is to remind us of the gospel of Jesus and to recall his death and resurrection and what has given us life. When we remember, when we stop and reflect for a moment, we also remember we all have a story. You and I all have a story. We all have a testimony that we can see God has turned the tides for us. He, he turned the tables or table turns. He turned our fortunes from death to life. Take a moment. Take a moment for a second. Do you, do you remember who you were before Christ? Do you remember following the ways of this world, following your own sinful passions? Do you remember, more importantly, do you remember the specific moment or the person that shared the gospel with you? Do you remember the person that invited you to church, the person who showed you the love that is out of this world? Do you remember when or how Christ saved you? In about two months, I am uh, going back home to Wisconsin to be with my family for Christmas. 
And my, my family moved to the small town of Adel, Wisconsin in 2005. And when I say small, it's small. It's like 500 people. Yeah, small. And if you were to walk out my front door, let's say I'm walking out my front door, I come up to the street and I stand on the street. If you look to your right, you would see a building that would be the building of the church that I grew up in. as the church that, that I was a part of with my family. And to the left, you would see a house at the end of the street, 424 Center Avenue, zip code 53001. It was the house of the like family. And, and they don't live there anymore, but I still remember all their faces. I go back home and I stand on that street and I think of this whole passage of remembrance, of celebration, of how we have moments that we remember God is good. I stand on that street and that house will always be a remembrance and a reminder of the neighbors that would step out in faith and share Christ with my family. That house marks this reminder of when God would change the fortunes of the Gatz family from death to life. And I can't help but wonder, what if someday somebody's looking back on their story and they picture your house and they say, those are the people that led me to Jesus. Those are the people that shared the gospel with me. Christian, if our tradition, if our remembrance, if everything we do as the body of Christ does not stir us to this living and active response, does not stir us to be closer to Jesus, to put off sin, does not stir us to go beyond these walls with a burning passion to love others and to love all those around us more than we love ourselves and to share Christ with our friends, with our coworkers, with our neighbors down the street, then our tradition, I think, is flawed. And our remembrance has forgotten the goodness of Jesus. So let us be a people that remembers the cross of Christ and rejoice. Let our heart overflow with the love and goodness that God has and is working in all of our stories and in the stories of the people around us. He's working in our story for his glory, for our good, and for the deliverance of lost souls everywhere. Let us pray. Lord God, it is so easy to forget your goodness towards us. So easy to forget what we deserved was death. But you have given us life in Jesus. You have given us life in Christ. Remind us, Lord, remind us of Jesus and through that inspire our hearts to respond to the beauty of the gospel. To love you and to love our neighbors around us. Lead us to acts of worship and generosity and service. Let our tradition be one that is life-giving. Let our hope be one that is shared with others. Let our desire be to look and live more like Jesus. Thank you for our deliverance. Thank you for redemption through the cross. Lord, sanctify the church. Save lost souls and defeat the enemy for your kingdom and your glory in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.